Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. I'm going to be over in Mark uh, chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, and uh, beginning in verse 28, and we'll read down to verse 31. If, if you remember from last week when we looked at the scripture, uh, Jesus had an interaction with a man. We understand he was a rich man. And Jesus told that rich man, he said, listen, you've got to give up everything you've got. You've got to sell it all, and you've got to give it to the poor. And if you can't do that, then you can't follow me. And that rich man said, in so many words, I can't do that. I can't follow you. And, Jesus, uh, the, and that, 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 that interaction that Jesus had with the rich man, it, it kind of rattled the disciples. If you were to go down to verse 28, you'll see that, G, that Peter, or excuse me, in verse 26, excuse me, verse 26, uh, they ask him, he says, now, Jesus, if he can't be saved, well, then who can be saved? You know, you, you, it looks like you're, you're putting a pretty high bar on this thing. And Jesus answers to him, he says, everything is possible if God is the one that does it. With God, all things are possible. And I'm grateful that, all, that with God, all things are possible because it depended on me or you, it wouldn't happen. But because it depends on God, all things are possible. So in verse 28, which is where we'll pick up our text, uh, Peter is responding to that, essentially saying, okay, we understand that with God all things are possible, so we're going to do the best we can to follow you as best we can. We're doing what we can. We're doing it. So now what? Now what? And what Jesus responds with are what I believe are the most encouraging words in this section of Mark, beginning in the middle of chapter 8 and going to uh, really the end of chapter 10. It's really the most encouraging section of Mark, this, this section of Mark. When he says in this passage the words that he says, the very comforting and encouraging words. So I want to ask you to just take a moment, if you're able to stand with me, I want to read these words together. We'll begin in verse 28 and go down to verse 31. These are the words of our Savior, so we want to pay attention to them and give them the honor and respect that they are due. Scripture tells us, then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all, and followed thee, and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, brethren, or sisters, father, or mother, or teacher, or children, or lands, for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, Houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. But many that are first shall be last and the last first. Let's pray. Lord, I, I need your help this morning as I try to deliver this message to your people. I, I want to deliver something that I believe, if I'm understanding our Lord correctly, is an encouragement. Please help me to be encouraging in the way that it's delivered. More than important than my delivery, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will take the words that have been read from the mouth of our Savior, that you'll take those words and that you will warm, encourage, lift up the hearts of some that might be discouraged this morning. Help them to see why all this is worth it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. 
the summer of uh, 1995. That's been a long time ago now, longer ago than I care to admit. But uh, summer of 1995, I was working in that summer a uh, 40-hour-a-week internship to try to prepare myself for my career. And uh, that took up for all, every day. I mean, I was busy all day. But I also, at night, as soon as I finished with that job, I needed to make some money because that internship wasn't paying a whole lot of money. It was more about the experience, you understand. You ever done that kind of thing? You do it for the experience. They ain't paying you. It's cheap or free labor. That's what I was doing for them for a little bit. Glad to do it. it. It paid off in the long run. But I didn't have any money, so I needed to get some. So when I'd leave there about 5.30, I would head across just a few, just a, a few blocks over, and I would go to this pizza place to deliver pizzas till closing. So every day, my day started about 7 o'clock in the morning, went till about 11, 11.30 at night. Pretty long day. Enjoyed, it was enjoyable in some capacities, and some it was tiring, if you can imagine. But my goal at that, that particular summer was I had a girl that I wanted to marry. So I wanted to get a ring to be able to ask her to marry me. And uh, she was expecting a rich man, so... Uh, I had to work pretty hard. Now, <laughs> that is not the only way I failed her. Uh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. But um, I saved up every evening, went, went, delivered pizzas, got the tips, and did the whole thing, and uh, saved up and bought her a ring. And there's no two ways about it. It was an expensive proposition for me, trying to get enough money just to go day to day, keep gas in the car, buy a few, you know, few, few things to keep things going and save money for this ring. It was expensive for me. There was no way that I could do it. My dad and my mom helped me with a whole lot, but my dad and my mom were not about to help me with an engagement ring. They said, that's on you, brother. So I had to do all that myself. And it was expensive. But I would argue, and I believe I'm right to say, it was worth it to me. What I got out of the deal made up for more, made up more than made up for what I put into it, you understand. I got something that we just celebrated 24 years of marriage, and I'm grateful to my wife for that and enjoy that. And I'm trying to say that simply to say that has been a reward to me over these years that I had to put in some sweat and blood and tears at the beginning, I understand, but those things pale in comparison to what I got as a reward. Now, discipleship, following after Jesus, it costs a lot. It's expensive, if you want to put that term to it. It's high price to follow in Jesus. And that's really what Jesus has been talking about in these couple of chapters, is how high the price is to follow him. It's not easy. It's not free. It, there's, you've got to give something up in order to follow him. And, and it, I think sometimes we can focus exclusively on the cost. And one of the things that's been bothering me about my preaching over the last few, few uh, weeks has been, wow, it's kind of dark. It's kind of heavy. It's kind of in, intensive because you've got to do all these things. And I don't want to give them the wrong impression that they have to earn their salvation. That's not what it's been saying. But, but, but still, it's what he says. So I've got to share what he says. And I want them to know that. But it's kind of been weighing on me because if you just listen to all that, then it kind of gets depressive. You know, why in the world would you follow Jesus? It's so hard. But this passage reminds us that there is joy, there is reward, there is pleasure in following Jesus. So this morning, all I want to do this morning, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. I mean, this whole service is an invitation. 
Let me just put it to you that way. Here's the invitation. Would you just take a minute and consider how wonderful it is to serve Jesus? The rewards that you get because you follow Jesus, would you just consider that for just a minute? That those people who have the, the grace and the power of God, because we understand it's only possible through God, Jesus just told us that, that have been given the grace and the power of God to, to deny themselves, to pick up their crosses, to go to their death, to, to follow Jesus no matter what it takes to pay that highest of prices whenever Jesus demands it, those people get joy. Would you this minute, just for the next little bit, would you just... Go with me. This, this may be the worst sermon you've ever heard. It might be the best. I don't know. But I'm asking you, you may never learn another thing in this sermon. But what I want you to do is to elevate your mind and your heart just to say, listen, let me turn it towards Jesus for just a minute and let me think about what Jesus gives me because I follow him. These men, Peter particularly, he's sort of acting as a um, kind of a representative if you will, he kind of speaks a lot of times for the disciples. So I think you could use his words as a go, uh, to go stand in for the rest of the disciples. And he says there that we have left all, this is in verse 28, and followed thee. And he's not lying. They gave up a lot. They gave up a lot. I want you to understand that. If you go back to verse 21, Jesus tells this rich man, he says, um, I think I lost my place there. He said, yeah, verse 21, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and then thou shalt have treasure in heaven, take up thy cross and follow me. He tells that rich man, he says, you just need to give up everything and follow me. And what is the rich man's response? Verse 22, he was sad at that saying, and he was grieved, for he had great possessions. He didn't give up anything to follow Jesus, so he didn't follow Jesus. I won't make you turn there, but if you were to go back to chapter 1 in verse 17, you see Jesus walking essentially along the shoreline, Galilee. He sees these, these, uh, these fishermen in their boats, and they're working on their boats, getting their nets ready. And he calls them, and he says, hey, fellows, won't you follow me? And it says there in the next verse, verse 18, immediately, there's no hesitation, there's no, there's no let me count the cost, there's no re consideration, at least the way Mark writes it. I, I have no other information other than what the Holy Spirit gives me based on what they says there. These men drop everything and go. And you may say, well, they didn't have much to begin with. Hang on a minute. Let's don't, let's don't be so quick on that. This was their business. This is what put food on their tables this is what they did for a living. I would even dare say at least a couple of them, if not all of them, I might have actually enjoyed their work. I mean, some of y'all do some kinds of work that maybe I might not like or somebody else may say, well, that's a terrible job. But you actually say, well, I kind of like it. It's my job. I enjoy it. I'm good at it. And I bet Peter, James, and John, they probably felt exactly the same way. But what, is, what do they do? They, they leave that, that ship behind, that investment, the things that they would have gotten from that, the, the prestige that might have come from being that guy in town that you know, had that consistent income and was able to, to build a nice house on the, on the edge of the seashore to, to take care of his family, to be, able, to be able to send his kids to a better school or whatever it was that he got to get from that income. And not only did he leave that behind, but as best as I can tell too, I don't think he completely abandoned them as in he forsake them and walked away, but he was not able to spend the kind of time with his family that he would like to because he's following Jesus around. I mean, that's what he's doing. Now, I do believe, I don't believe God, God intended him to sort of leave his wife and his kids like y'all figure it out by yourself. I don't think that's what it was going on. But nonetheless, here he is spending more of his time following after this rabbi, this Messiah, this, this one who was going to teach him. 
So here we have a man who really did leave behind his business, the prospects that he might have had in the future, his wealth. He left behind the familiarity of his hometown. He left all that behind. And Jesus says to him, yes, I understand you've left it all behind, verse 28. You've left it all behind. Verse 29, he says, Verily I say unto you that there is no man that hath left house and brethren and sisters and so on for my sake and the gospel's but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time and that list of things. He says, I understand, Peter, that y'all have given up your house, your family, and your land. But you're going to get it back a hundred times over. He is going to restore that in this time, he says there in verse 30. This is going to be restored a hundred times in this time, speaking of in the present and I don't want you to understand that if you leave it all behind and you, you, you say, I, nothing is important to me except following after Jesus, if he is the most important person in your life, what he says goes, that you are going to have to give some things up, but he promises to restore everything that you're willing to give up and multiplied times over is what he's promising here. He is going to give you, you give up a family. If you say, I've got to walk away from my family, he is going to give you a family beyond uh, that you can even you can even imagine do you understand that if you follow jesus you know you get something called a church family the family of god that's a family that exists around the globe those people are all over everywhere that you can go into any town and village and i don't know if you've ever had this experience or not but this actually does happen where you go and you can meet someone that you didn't know out of the blue and there is i call the way the spirit the, the, excuse me the scripture talks about this is your spirit bearing witness with their spirit and that there is a familiarity there there is a, there's a comfortableness there there is a fellowship there that you have that you can't even explain other than the fact that y'all are both part of the same family that you have that. That is something that is available to you. That is something that is not just a couple of people that you know that you grew up with, although those are wonderful people. It's not just that. These are people all over the globe. He's going to give you a new home, a church home. Can I put it to you that way? He's going to give you a church home. He's going to give you a place where you can come and you can get fellowship and you can get help. I've heard it said from some, and this is not always true for everybody, but I, I believe it's probably the, the more normal experience that there are many people whose their church family actually becomes to them more helpful, more encouraging, more loving. They get more, if you want to say it that way, from their church family than they even had from their blood and their blood uh, relatives. Can I, can I give you one blessing that goes even beyond that? Some of you not have been able to experience this, and I'm, I'm sorry for that for you, but I can tell you that this has been my experience you take that, the blessings of being able to have a church family that loves you and cares for you and nurtures you, that God has given to you, and then add to that your, family, your blood relatives are part of that too. Maybe it's your wife or your daughter and son or your, your, your grandparents or whatever, whoever that family is, and they sit in that service with you, and they enjoy the fellowship together. If y'all don't know what I'm talking about, y'all need to invite your mamas and daddies and brothers and husbands and everybody else. Y'all need to come into this church because I can tell you, if you'll do that, some of my best memories of, of, of my life are being in the church service with people that I love. Some of them that I was born and raised with and some of them that we, they came to Christ later in life and we got to know each other later in life. 
those are some of my best memories, sitting and hearing preaching and listening to singing and fellowshipping after the service. That's the kind of thing that we get because we follow Jesus. He's going to give that to us in this lifetime. He's also promised to restore it all, as he says there, in the world to come, the last phrase in verse 30. He's going to restore everything in the world to come. He's going to restore to you everything that sin has claimed. Whether it's your sin, foolishness that you did, or sin that others have done and taken from you because of their sin. That is all going to be restored, Jesus' words, a hundred times over. That's what he does. What your ego has destroyed, what others' egos have destroyed, what death has killed will be resurrected a hundred times over. What Satan stole from you is going to be renewed a hundred times over. And it, look at what he says there in verse 30 again. To come, in the world to come, eternal life. These things are going to be restored I can, I can, you know, maybe I took $5 from you and I can give you $10 back to make up for what I took from you. But it'd be gone just like that, won't it? But when Jesus gives it back to you, and he gives it back to you better than it was taken, it's never going away. It's eternal. It is never to be released. It is for yours forever. And we have a promise of land. We can, we can, re, we can, we can say we've got all these things and these things are going to be put to the side because we want to follow Jesus. And he says, if you'll do that, I promise you a land, as the song says, that is fairer than day, that by faith we can see afar. We have that to look forward to. So, so what I want you to see here is that Jesus restores everything that's lost. Some of you have lost family members, people that you loved dearly, and they're not with you right now. And whenever their birthday or that anniversary rolls around, that, that hurts in your heart. And I, 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 can't even, I can't even come close to imagining what some of you are having to deal with because some of these are relationships that meant so much to you for so many years. And I want to promise you on the authority of God's Word, if you are following Jesus Christ, He is going to restore those that have been lost to you. You will have those people in your life again. It's not going to be in this life, we understand that. But it is in the world to come. We've got that to look forward to. Some of you right now are under a lot of stress and anxiety. might even dread the next few minutes, much less the next few weeks or months. Some of us are even having a hard time saying, I don't even know why all this is worth it. Maybe even being alive is worth it, or definitely why being a Christian is worth it. I don't see that. I don't get it. I'm not seeing it. I want you to hear, not me, but our Savior say to you, He is going to give you an eternal family. He is giving you an eternal home. He is giving you an eternal land, all of which you can know that you have today, and you can enjoy at least in part today. That's what we're doing. I think sometimes we get mixed up on this whole church thing. That it somehow it's about to satisfy some need in me or something I want in me. No, no, no. This is all called heaven practice. This is what this is. We're not doing it right. We're going, we're going to get a good lesson up in heaven about what singing's supposed to really look like. Sorry, Brother Mark. We're going to get a good lesson from Jesus up in heaven, what preaching really looks like. Sorry, uh, Brother Tilly. We're going to get a good lesson in, in what sitting on a pew or whatever that's going to look like in heaven. In fact, I don't know how much pew sitting we're going to be doing in heaven, but the point is, we're going to, whatever worship we think looks like down here, I think we're going to get it all wrong. But that doesn't mean we don't try. 
That don't mean we don't put our eyes towards the heavens and say, I know that Jesus has promised me a hundred times everything I've lost. So that's what we come together for. It's not to see what somebody and -and so-and-so has done and said and what kind of dress they're wearing, what kind of hat he's wearing, what kind of tie he does, where they're going to sit and who's going to show up and who's not. That's not the point of this. The point of this is this is that taste of glory divine. And I know that what I'm saying, doesn't, it sounds weird to some of y'all because church is not glory divine for some of y'all. Church is the place of pain and sorrow and misery, and that's the devil right there. That's the devil getting into our churches, doing those sorts of things, because this ought to be the, the biggest taste of heaven that you'll taste all week. And when it's not, shame on me and shame on you, but the Lord Jesus Christ has promised me a hundred times everything I've lost. He says, in this life, in this time, and in the world to come. I want you to hear the Savior telling you that. They're about to sing a song in just a minute, and I don't know if y'all have heard or not. It's, if you've listened to much Southern Gospel, you probably have heard it. Oh, look what I'm trading for a mansion. Oh, look what I'm leaving behind. Oh, look who will be there to greet me when I step in that sweet paradise. I'll be leaving behind all my sorrows. I'll be leaving behind all my cares. Oh, look what I've traded for a mansion that Jesus has gone to prepare. The trash and the trinkets of this world, and there's a bunch of them. Yeah, we got to give them up. And I'll be the first in line to say, man, I don't like to give up my trash and my trinkets. It's important to me. I want to tell you all that. So please, y'all go ahead and admit it. Don't tell me. Tell the Lord. Say, Lord, I, I know it's just money, but it's important to me, Lord. I gotta, I gotta, it's important to me. I, I know it's just a job, but it's important to me. I know it's just a relationship, but it's important to me. I know it's just uh, whatever it is for you, but you need to understand in light if you could just lift your eyes up a little bit. And see that the trash and treasures of this world are nothing in comparison to the rewards that Jesus Christ is offering to you. There is great joy in following after Jesus. Great joy. Not only does he restore what's lost, but he also provides exactly what we need. Because in verse 30, he says there that he's going to return these things a hundredfold. Now in this time, you see that phrase in the, right towards the end of verse 30? With persecutions. You see, this restoration he's going to give to us, he is going to restore these things. I told you about the church family and the church home and all. You get all that right now. You get to enjoy that. But that doesn't mean it's going to come as, without any, any trials and trouble, tribulations. You do know that you followed a man that they murdered. He's the best we got. We all want to be like Jesus. And if we follow in his footsteps, don't be surprised they're not going to be nice to you. They're not going to like you. They're not going to think you're all sweet and kind. Now, after you're dead and gone, just like the world does today, after you're dead and gone, they're going to twist your words and think you're a saint, but they're still not going to call you God. But that, that, you understand, that, that's what they're going to do. That's what they do to Jesus. So you should expect some opposition. You should expect some opposition. So he says there that you're going to have persecutions, but do understand this, that your reward from Jesus is most fully realized, most fully appreciated when you are enduring persecution. 
When you have the trials that come down, by the way, everybody in this world, I don't care if they're saved or lost, if they think Jesus is important or they don't ever want to know who he is and they reject him completely, everybody has a hard time every now and again, at least. And if we're honest about it, we have a lot more of a hard time than we want to let on. A lot of people deal with that. But as a Christian, when you're going through those trials and those tribulations and those persecutions, when they're against you, when you're having that against you, you have something that nobody else in this world has. You have a Father that you know loves you so deeply. This is an interesting uh, uh, omission that many of the commentators point out in those two lists between verse 29 and verse 30. Do you know that what you, he says there in, in verse 29, he says you're, you've left behind your fathers, but in verse 30 he doesn't say anything about it. You know why? Because we have a heavenly father. I think this is a good explanation of it. We have a heavenly father who loves us. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us so deeply that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us. And we know that in the middle of our trials and tribulations that he is going to use whatever we're, we're dealing with to help us, to encourage us. We also have been given a family to encourage us. I, I, remember that church family I told you about? This church family is not just folks that you come and, and observe a preaching service come and observe some good singing every now and again you're coming together in part that is part of the worship i understand that but there should be a whole life that's outside of even this hour that we spend together we ought to be encouraging lifting each other up praying for one another uh, calling on one another uh, just helping one another where we need to help there ought to be whenever you or find yourself and at some point i think in the near future we may find ourselves here that because of your faith in jesus christ your the things that you own your possessions maybe even the place that you live or the place that you work is not going to let you back in the place you ought to be able to know because you're a follower of jesus in that persecution that you have friends and family in christ who are going to give you a place to sleep put a meal and put a meal in front of you this is real hospitality by the way not just because we like each other and we're going to hang out and eat dinner together i'm talking about i don't have a job i i, I don't have i don't have i don't have food on my table because I'm following Jesus and I'm being persecuted and you're going to say, well, I've got a little extra, I'm going to help you. That's what he's talking about, that these Christians, they were being run out of town and they had family, real family, the blood of Jesus' family that they could lean on. And don't forget when you have trials, it sure does help to know that you have that land that is fairer than day to look forward to where you'll get to see the face of Jesus and those loved ones that have gone on before you. Therefore, we can take joy in following Jesus. He's never going to leave you. And he gives us a family to help us right now when our persecution comes, to help us, to give us strength. I need you all to hear this. Everybody in this room, I don't know where all of your mental states are, but I need you to know that you do not walk this world alone. You may feel alone, there may be some in this church right now that maybe, maybe you have a house full of people or maybe you're by yourself, whatever that looks like in your home, but you may feel absolutely alone. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have available to you because of the hundredfold promise of our Lord, you have available to you everything that you need. He's given that to us. As you endure loss, as you face trials and opposition, as you fight sin, it's not just when you're having a hard time because you don't have money or things or you're sad. Sometimes when we're fighting sin, by the way, can, can I just encourage y'all to go ahead and lean on each other when you're fighting sin? 
It would be good to have some people in your life that you can say, man, I am dealing with that sin again, and they can pray with you over that thing. That's what we're giving each other for, by the way. And as you deny yourself and follow him, never underestimate. I think too many times we do this, we underestimate and we undervalue the blessing of having a church family, people that will love each other. That's why the writer of Hebrews says that we ought not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Instead, he says instead we to exhort, encourage, build each other up. That's what we're to do. So much more as the day approaches, we see the day approaching, meaning that, yeah, the end of times, but as the end of times comes, uh, it's going to get worse in terms of this world. It's going to get harder, and we're going to need each other more. But Jesus provides us exactly what we need. And ultimately what Jesus is doing, in verse 31, I think he explains himself the best here. He says, that there are, there, the, but many that are first shall be last and last first. What Jesus does is he turns everything upside down. That's what he does. What was lost is now found. What was far is now near. What was first is now last, and what was last is now first. This is, way Jesus, this is the world of Jesus. And you and I, we say, well, that doesn't even make any sense. Because you know what, you know what gets us first? You know what, gets, you know what gets to the front of the line in this world? You know what gets to the front of the line? And if y'all don't know, that's why y'all ain't at the front of the line, because you ain't figured it out yet. But let me go ahead and tell you. Let me go ahead and tell you. Here's what gets you to the front of the line. You push, push other people down. You step on them. You elbow your way to the front. You, you don't care who you hurt. You don't care who you, who you stomp, who you crush. That's how we get to the front of the line. We get to the front of the line by just making sure we get there, and it's all about what we want, and no matter who gets hurt in the process. But Jesus, the one who has preeminence, the ultimate number one, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He gave up his rights. He who thought it not robbery to be equal with God made himself of no reputation. Here's the God of the universe, and he says, I'm going to give up my rights. And you know what he did? He came to this earth. He didn't go and sit in King's, into King Herod's court. Uh, he didn't go to uh, the Caesars and, and, and entertain them. What does he do? He goes among the lowly, the simple, the outcast, the forgotten ones. That's what he does. And for the... <laughs> I think we forget that sometimes. I love Jesus. Well, I'm glad you love Jesus, but you know why you love Jesus? Because Jesus loves losers. He loves me. That's what Jesus likes. He likes the outcast people. That's what he likes. So if you're really following him, he's getting the dregs of society, and he's saying, that's mine. And what he's done is he's made, he has defined what is good. And what is good is not what this world says is good, not what the high society says is good, uh, not what, what uh, one political party or another says is good, not, not what even what you say is good. He says, what I say is good, and it's those who follow me. I'm defining it. I'm going to be the servant of all. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we're going to serve all. We need to take joy in following after him because we don't follow him, not really, at least we shouldn't be following him just for the rewards. We follow him for him. He's the reward. He's the reward because he, in, in following him, he will providentially sustain us with all of his gifts. And he's got, he's got, he's got more than you can even imagine. He created it all. to give you whatever he needs. But the joy is following in his example. 
I'm going to invite Vanessa and Isabel to come on up here, and they're going to get ready to sing for you as we close out our service. All I'm really wanting to do with this message to you this morning is try to get you to appreciate in a small way that following Jesus is not like picking out a car. You go pick out a car, you want to pick out the color and the features, and, and oh, they, they didn't get the, the trim that I want, so I'll, I'll wait or I'll go to another deal. You know, that's not the way it is about Jesus. Or ordering off a menu. Oh, I didn't order the ranch dressing, I ordered the other stuff. Uh, send it back, I don't want that. That's not how it is with Jesus. Because it's not about you getting what you want. It's not about you getting your way. But it also isn't a drudgery or a dreary to follow Jesus. In fact, there's a lot of joy in following Jesus. He's the only one who can restore what this world has taken away from you. And can I go ahead and tell you, they're going to keep taking stuff away from you. They're not going to stop. I'm learning that. The longer I live, the more they take. But Jesus is going to restore it all back to you, and he's the only one who can. He's the only one who's going to sustain you through the worst opposition, the worst torture, the worst uh, uh, trials, the worst pain that you've ever endured. He's the only one who will sustain you. He's the only one that will uh, help you through that. He's the only one who loved you enough to die for you. Won't you follow Jesus? Won't you take some joy in the journey? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.